KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, October 14th, a timeline for reopening the U.S.-Mexico and Canadian borders. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Eighty percent of San Diegans are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. That's according to the latest data from San Diego County Health and Human Services Agency. It puts San Diego among the most vaccinated counties in the state and the nation. However, officials say it's no time to get complacent. At the same time, flu season has begun in San Diego. 195 lab-confirmed cases of the flu have been reported so far. The HHSA say those numbers are higher than the five-year average of 128 in the same period. California's State Department of Justice is joining a lawsuit against companies that make and sell unserialized or so-called ghost gun kits. State Attorney General Rob Bonta says the suit targets three companies, Blackhawk, MDX, and Glock Store. We're seeking uh, everything that we have uh, available to us, penalties, damages, injunctive relief, ending of the practices, you know, financial damages for what's been done in the past. So we're throwing the whole kitchen sink at them based on the law and the facts. The lawsuit alleges the companies are breaking laws that require all firearms to contain serial numbers and be sold by federally licensed sellers who run background checks. No comment has been given so far from the companies. Meanwhile, in San Diego, Mayor Todd Gloria signed an ordinance last month officially banning ghost guns. County supervisors will vote next week to create an ordinance that also bans making or distributing ghost guns. It also strengthens safe storage standards and bans 3D printing of gun parts. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. The Biden administration announced on Wednesday that it's easing travel restrictions at land border crossings. This comes after 19 months of closure to all but essential travel. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria praised the move in a press conference. For too long, the restrictions at our border have separated families, have devastated businesses uh, that rely on cross-border travel. Starting in early November, foreigners entering the U.S. for non-essential travel will have to show proof of COVID-19 vaccination. David Shirk is the department chair and professor of political science and international relations at the University of San Diego. He spoke about this announcement's impact on the region with KPBS's Andrew Bowen on Midday Edition. Here's that interview. Border crossings from Tijuana have been taking place to some extent throughout the pandemic. So remind us what types of crossings were previously allowed and which can resume in November because of this announcement. So um, with the uh, near the start of the pandemic, the Trump administration imposed a restriction to uh, border crossers to only allow essential travel across uh, U.S. ports of entry. Uh, 
Um, and any visitors who wanted to come to the United States for non-essential purposes, such as visiting Disney, Disneyland, could come in through airports uh, and, and um, uh, flying into the country. But for people living here in the border region, uh, only so-called essential travelers were uh, permitted to come across our, our landbound ports of entry. Um, so that could include someone coming across for medical reasons. It could include someone who has a position that uh, is listed among the federal categories of essential workers. Um, but uh, it, it essentially meant that for Mexican nationals um, working, working or, or in, a, in a situation where they were not considered essential, they could not come across the border from, uh, say, Tijuana to San Diego uh, for their their uh, otherwise for their so-called non-essential activities like visiting their grandchildren or uh, trying to uh, go shopping and, and or go out to restaurants, et cetera. How might these changes impact the local economy, and how might they impact the lives of everyday people in our community? Well, immediately prior to the pandemic, um, you know, in February of 2020, we had uh, on average around 200,000 people crossing the uh, San Isidro, uh, Otay Mesa ports of entry into the San Diego, into San Diego County um, on any given, uh, in any given uh, day. And um, by April of 2020, we saw that number drop by uh, more than 50%, uh, down to about 75,000 people crossing the border on a daily basis. So the ports of entry were really dramatically emptied. Uh, and over the course of 2020, we saw that number gradually go up uh, uh, until about midpoint this year when we have, you know, around 160, 170,000 uh, people crossing on a daily basis. So we've recuperated significantly the number of people who are coming um, uh, for so-called essential purposes, but there's still, you know, uh, tens of thousands of people who are not crossing the border, not coming across to to visit SeaWorld, to use our rest, to go to our restaurants, um, and to engage in other quote unquote non-essential activities. But for our border community, and especially for uh, South County businesses, uh, it, it's been quite devastating in terms of trying to uh, you know run local restaurants and um, even hotels and other industries where there's a big dependence on both uh, people who uh, can live in Tijuana and legally work in the United States and a dependence obviously on the customers who would, would um, be coming across for, for ordinary um, uh, commercial activities or, or shopping activities. Air travel to the U.S. has been permitted for non-essential travel as long as the traveler could prove a, a negative COVID-19 test. So in some ways, it's been easier to get to San Diego on a flight from Mexico City than crossing on foot or in a car at San Isidro. Why was air travel treated differently than land border crossings? You know, it's, it is a, a crazy exception. I can't explain why that policy was chosen. I know in our case, we've had to fly colleagues uh, from Mexico City and elsewhere uh, in Mexico uh, the, to Los Angeles uh, or to San Diego in order to get them to come to professional activities here at the University of San Diego because of this odd loophole 
Um, whereas normally we might fly them in the Tijuana airport and have them come across uh, the, um, the CBX facility. Um, we had to go through this extra step in order to bring vaccinated people uh, here for, for professional purposes. Um, and I, I think, you know, the part of the problem in my view is that in Washington, there's really a difficulty in comprehending the, the realities of what it means to live in a cross-border community and to, to you know, go about your daily business in a place like San Diego and Tijuana. Um, and this sort of perception that you know, flying people in with a vaccination card is somehow safer than having uh, people drive across with a vaccination card is, is a little bit foolish because there's so much intermingling in our communities anyway that um, I'm very personally skeptical that the border closure uh, or restrictions have had any real effect in reducing cross-border flows of COVID. And that was David Shirk, the department chair and professor of political science and international relations at the University of San Diego. He was speaking with KPBS's Andrew Bowen on KPBS Midday Edition. Federal agents say they're on the ground portion of the investigation into the plane crash in Santee that killed two people and injured others is wrapping up. But KPBS's Matt Hoffman says there are still many unanswered questions. Whatever these things happen, they're tragic, and we never want to repeat them. Chris Luca is the owner of Learn to Fly San Diego. He's logged over 5,000 flying hours and has been teaching for nearly 20 years. He says records show the pilot of the crashed plane, Seguda Das, was experienced had a commercial license, and his plane made regular trips from Yuma to San Diego. While we don't know exactly what happened, Sluka says in the final moments before the crash, the aircraft was going up and down rapidly and changing its speed before heading into a steep dive. That is a mystery. I don't know what's going on. Did he do that? Was he having a problem with the plane? We don't know. Sluka says no distress call was made by the pilot, but based on some of his short responses to air traffic, guesses that something just wasn't right. And that was reporting from KPBS's Matt Hoffman. California's Committee on Reparations met again this week to discuss housing and environmental inequities that have specifically disadvantaged Black Americans. CAP Radio's Sarah Mises Tan has more. The committee looked at how reparations could be given in the form of direct payments or other methods to correct decades of racist policies and actions. Members also heard from experts about displacement of Black residents in California. Reverend Amos Brown of San Francisco says the Black middle class no longer exists in the city. We were pushed out. Now it remains to be seen whether or not this state and San Francisco will do anything to bring us back so we can have our fair share. No one else's share, but our fair share. The committee will meet again later this week to look at issues such as the impacts of racism in banking and the racial wealth gap. And that was Cap Radio's Sarah Mises Tan. In Vista, the medical marijuana industry has been thriving during the pandemic. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne has more. Flora Verde Dispensary was the first legally licensed medical marijuana dispensary in Vista. The dispensary was getting established just before the pandemic hit. Owner Justin Chrisman thought the stay-at-home order would put them out of business. He was wrong. All of a sudden, people are stuck in their homes. They need a lot of, you know, release and 
and therapeutic um, medicine. So we had a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression that people were battling. Um, so they came to us for their you know, holistic alternative and sales started to spike. And his business wasn't the only one thriving. In the last fiscal year, the city of Vista reported more than $5 million in revenue from the cannabis sales tax. And that was KPBS's Tanya Thorne. The city will be using the $1 million of that sales tax revenue to pay for youth scholarships, a new sheriff's deputy, park maintenance, and undercover operations to stop shops from selling marijuana to minors. Coming up, Project Home Key is a critical part of California's plan to combat homelessness. Some California cities see other benefits to the project as well. Yes, we think this is uh, an opportunity to really move the needle at a time when, when it's desperately needed. More on that next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Project Home Key is the centerpiece of California's multi-billion dollar plan to fight homelessness. It started last year and it focuses on turning old and underused businesses, especially motels, into permanent supportive housing for the homeless. And some California cities see Home Key as a way to turn neglected properties that are in sometimes blighted neighborhoods into something that improves the wider community. To find out more, the California Report's host, Saul Gonzalez, went to one street in Orange County. Beach Boulevard is an eight-lane wide monster of a thoroughfare, packed full of decaying 1950s and 60s era motels, with names like the Jay Palace, the Riviera, and the Americana. Now, a half century ago, these businesses were sleek symbols of America's love affair with the open road, where families would pull in for a night or two while visiting nearby Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm. But what are the motels like today? Well, let's have Marletta tell us. They are about sex, drugs, and violence. That's, that sums that up in three words. Sex, drugs, and violence. There's a lot of uh, prostitution, there's a lot of drugs, and there's a lot of violence going on all at the same time. Behind the walls of Behind these. the walls of these hotels up and down Beach Boulevard. I met Marletta, who doesn't want her last name used because she's embarrassed about her living situation, in a parking lot along Beach Boulevard. She's homeless herself, and when she has the money, will often check into one of the motels. But she says the stays are never restful. Yes, there's been times where I thought I was really going to die. So it's and, scary out here. And the motels kind of create this kind of environment they're where... They're ten times worse. They, they times are the, the, um, they're the, the eye of it. You know what I mean? That's where it begins. But because of Home Key, there are changes coming to some of the aging motels along Beach Boulevard. Clearly there's an epidemic of, the, of this in, in Orange County. But it also creates an opportunity for it. That's exactly right. 
That's Michael Massey, an executive with Jamboree, an Orange County nonprofit housing developer. And the opportunity is the sheer number of blighted motel properties in Orange County, a lot of them potential sites for new homeless housing using home key dollars. Massey says the motels are already a kind of housing for the homeless, like they are with Marletta, except with people living in sometimes squalid and dangerous conditions. We know that um, this is often housing of last resort. So when people can't pull everything together in order to, to enter the housing market, they'll use motels as a place to live to, uh, to seek shelter. Massey's company has received $26 million in home key funds to buy and renovate two motels along Beach Boulevard. And hoping to get a new round of home key funding, Jamboree is eyeing 10 more properties for redevelopment. Massey says cities increasingly see home key as a way to both help the homeless and improve blight. We're getting phone calls and cities are calling us and asking us, how did you do that? How did you make that happen? We have these motels as well. We see this as a win-win situation where you take a problem and turn it into a solution. Cities get that now. They're understanding that. And because we've been successful, because other developers have been successful, yes, we think this is uh, an opportunity to really move the needle at a time when, when it's desperately needed. Anaheim Mayor Harry Sidhu agrees. His city has a lot of aging motel properties, and it's just done its first motel to homeless housing conversion. So you, as mayor of Anaheim, you don't mind these properties being turned into long-term housing? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, we have a lot of homeless people. You know, we have, they are in shelters right now. We need to transition them into a permanent housing somehow. And this shows that I, I'm going to do as many as possible if the funding is available to get these people off the street into the, and clean the neighborhoods. As she tries to survive on the streets of Orange County, Marletta offers this advice to local and state officials managing Home Key. Move fast because the need is great and stick to ambitious plans. I mean, I know it's probably more complicated than that, but it's hard out here. You know, it's a lot of homeless people. And I think these streets, especially around here, because it's really nasty and dirty, would be a little more, you know, calmer, cleaner. And I won't be scared when I'm walking up and down Beach Boulevard. I got like two knives on me. You know what I mean? Like they need to clean it up. And the first thing they need to do is give people somewhere to live. That piece was reported by California Report host Saul Gonzalez as part of a partnership between KCRW and the California Report. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.